All right, the topic of my meditation, or I should say the title of my meditation this morning is Giving an Answer. And the topic is Evangelism and Apologetics. Uh, given the world's opposition to the gospel, we should expect to encounter objections anytime we share our faith. I'm convinced that our best method for defending the faith is with sound biblical doctrine, shared through simple conversations. Um, I'm also convinced that our Baptist Catechism provides an excellent summary of biblical doctrine, providing an easy-to-use tool for preparing to share what we believe. My hope is that this message would be an encouragement to you and that we would all be empowered by the Word of God to proclaim Christ to the lost. When Jesus concluded His earthly ministry, He commissioned His apostles to go and make disciples among the nations. As believers, we are called to make disciples, but often shy away for various reasons. I admit that, that I often feel inadequate. In fact, I feel that way a little right now, actually. Uh, sometimes we hear objections that we don't immediately have an answer for. Sometimes we lack gentleness and fail to represent Christ properly. And sometimes we just get lazy. With all this, all these impediments, it's easy for me to just conclude, well, I just don't have it in me. I'm not that smart. I'm not that bright. I'm just going to leave up sharing my faith to the, uh, to the pastors and the missionaries among us. You might feel the same way sometimes. But let's consider the account at Pentecost in Acts 2. Jesus had instructed His disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. There we see Peter, a poor, uneducated fisherman who previously had denied Christ three times. Now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he stands up and preaches the gospel with boldness to the crowd of mockers. This encounter ends with 3,000 people coming to faith in Christ. Two things I would like to point out from these first two uh, chapters in Acts. One, Christ commands us to make disciples. And two, God uses the weak to demonstrate His power and accomplish His will. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Christ's words shape the way we approach sharing and defending the faith. If we held the belief that someone's salvation was contingent on our own fallible knowledge, wisdom, and ability to share the gospel, how surely would we shy away from the commandment to make disciples, fearing that our own lack of ability could lead to another's damnation? But this is not our belief. Instead, we believe that before the foundation of the world, God determined all of His elect, and He will lose none of them. Now, this leads some people to falsely claim that Calvinists have no need of evangelism due to the view of, doc of the doctrine of election. Here's the claim. If you believe God is sovereign over the number of the elect and none will be lost, why evangelize? 
I'm sure we've all heard that objection in some form or another. Um, maybe we've even entertained that as a way of justifying you know, a lack of zeal for sharing the faith. But this faulty reasoning contradicts Jesus' command to make disciples. And it misunderstands God's decree. Uh, Vodi Bakum responds to this objection in a sermon with a question. I quote, Do you believe God is sovereign over the number of people that will be born? Yes. And yet you exert yourself and participate in the process. You don't just sit there and go, Well, he's sovereign. They'll just show up. (laughs) So we do participate. We're commanded to. And therefore, we can rest assured that even if we forget to say something, if we stumble over our words, if we're flustered by an objection that we can't answer, or our weakness, excuse me, our weakness does not change God's decree. None of his sheep will be lost. Moreover, we could speak with the most persuasive arguments and eloquently refute any and all objections that we hear and yet still not change God's decree. In the Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, chapter 3, paragraph 6, it states this, As God hath appointed the elect unto glory, so he hath, by the eternal and most free purpose of his will, foreordained all the means thereunto. They, wherefore, they who are elected, being fallen in Adam, are redeemed by Christ, and effectually called unto faith in Christ. By his Spirit working in due season, are justified, adopted, sanctified, and kept by his power through faith unto salvation. Neither are any other redeemed by Christ or effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, or saved, but the elect only. Now, I'm not advocating that we just throw caution to the wind and we just wing it when we're given the opportunity to share the gospel, but we also shouldn't shy away from opportunities just because we feel inadequate or that we don't know enough yet. Instead, we need to prepare ourselves to succinctly and clearly communicate what we believe. In his first epistle, Peter writes, chapter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The Greek word here that's translated give an answer is apologia, which means to give a defense or a reason argument. And this is where we get the word apologetics from. I want to read a quote uh, by John Gill, and I'll, I'm just going to say that it's a little bit uh, difficult to understand, but uh, just bear with me. And I'll read it slowly. It took me like five times reading it before I could really understand it. So Now, a reason of this is to be given, not that they are to account for the gospel upon the foot of carnal reason, for that is not of men, nor according to the carnal reason of men, nor is it to be thought that every Christian should be capable of defending the gospel either in whole or in part by arguments and reasons in a disputatious way, 
or to give a reason and argument for every particular truth, but that he should be well acquainted with the ground and foundation of Christian religion, at least with the first principles of the oracles of God, and be conversant with the scriptures, and be able to point out that in them, which is the reason of holding this and the other truth, though he is not able to give a gainsayer satisfaction. In other words, the Christian need not attempt to reason from a purely philosophical perspective, nor expect the carnal mind to comprehend the spiritual things of God. The gospel does not come by men, but by revelation of God. Thus, we should build our foundation upon the first principles of God's revealed word and not expect to satisfy every person's objection. When we recognize that each of us is capable of knowing what we believe and how to communicate it with humility and gentleness, we open up so many more opportunities to witness to people. Uh, one of the books that's been helpful to me in my study is a book called Expository Apologetics by Vodi Bakum. And uh, he summarizes his approach here. Expository apologetics is merely the application of the principles of biblical exposition to the art and science of apologetics. It is based on inerrancy, infallibility, sufficiency, and authority of the Bible. This approach to apologetics is not based on acquiring the latest knowledge in fields like astronomy, geology, physics, psychology, or comparative religion. This approach is based on the believer's need to have a firm grasp on basic truths and a willingness to share these truths when and where opportunities arise. Our view is always toward gospel proclamation. He summarizes with three points. First, it's about being biblical. Second, it is about being easy to remember. And third, it is about being conversational. Our confession of faith is very clear in its regard to the Holy Scriptures. The opening sentence in chapter 1, paragraph 1 states, The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. We can rely on Scripture because God has established it as a means of grace. Saving knowledge comes from nowhere but Scripture. We demonstrate our understanding of this by the way we teach the Scriptures to our children. Recognizing the power of the word of the word to save sinners. In Second Timothy chapter three, verse fifteen, Paul encourages Timothy to continue to hold fast to the doctrines which he has been taught, the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. Timothy knew the scriptures because his mother and grandmother began teaching him at a young age. As parents. We are our children's first teachers, and we have a great responsibility to teach them the things of God. God has given us his word so that we may know that salvation is through Christ alone. The creeds, confessions, and catechisms provide us with insight into how our fathers summarized scripture. We can also keep in mind that portions of these documents 
and the Holy Scriptures they expound were specifically written to refute false teaching and errors in doctrine. Thus, they are especially useful as apologetic tools. In the example that follows, our catechism provides a summary of what biblical doctrine teaches and a simultaneous argument for its necessity of use in our homes. It also serves as a practical way for us to prepare for conversations with the lost. So these questions here are from our Baptist Catechism. Question five. May all men make use of the Holy Scriptures? Answer. All men are not only permitted, but commanded to read, hear, and understand the Holy Scriptures. Question six. What things are chiefly contained in the Holy Scriptures? Answer. The Holy Scriptures chiefly contain what man ought to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Question 44. What is the duty that God requires of man? Answer. The duty which God requires of man is obedience to His revealed will. These questions and answers are very helpful in providing succinct summaries of biblical doctrine. The beauty is that as we answer one question, the next one is ready to define, clarify, and, def- and expand on the previous. We can use this to help develop our understanding of the scriptures and preparation for evangelism and apologetics. But again, we must remember that while all men shall make use of the Holy Scriptures, it is only by the Spirit of God that any believes it is the true Word of God. This is vital for us to remember as we evangelize, both with our own children and with outsiders. We are to be obedient in preaching the Word, but recognize the Holy Spirit's necessary work in conversion. This will, help to make sh- this will help to take some pressure off of our shoulders. Our confession in chapter 20, paragraph 4 says, Although the gospel be the only outward means revealing Christ and of revealing Christ and saving grace and is, as such, abundantly sufficient thereunto, yet that men who are dead in trespass may be born again, quickened or regenerated, there is moreover necessary and effectual and superable work of the Holy Spirit upon the whole soul for the producing in them a new spiritual life without which no other means will affect their conversion unto God. With this in mind, let's think for a moment of who we should share the gospel with. Of course, it would be most efficient if we knew who the elect were and just shared with them. Uh, That would make the job a slam dunk, as they say. Uh, But then again, the elect aren't walking around with special buttons on for identification. Uh, Therefore, uh, we should be ready to give an answer to anyone who is willing to listen. This begins at home with our children, and it works outward to the people that we encounter every day. So... We have a pretty good idea about how we can be evangelists and apologists to our children. We do this already by reading the Holy Scriptures to them through catechesis and through our everyday conversations with them, by listening to their questions and patiently answering them. But how can we be evangelists and apologists to the grown-up lost that are among us? 
Well, that's simple. Do the same thing. Now, I'm not saying that you invite everyone you meet to come home to your house for family worship, although that's not a bad idea in some cases. But what I am saying is that we reason from the scriptures and we trust that God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. I know this sounds simple, but that's the beauty of it. When we trust that God is sovereign, his word, and hold his word in high esteem and follow his commands, what else do we need? I can end it right there, but I'm not, right? I have more, more to say, probably more than I have time for, but I'll proceed. I know some of you are thinking, well, how can I steer a conversation toward the gospel in a natural way? Or how do I handle objections with gentleness and uh, respect? Well, these two actually go hand in hand because the lost will naturally make truth claims that are in opposition to the gospel. That's your contact point. Now, I, I could give you a proof verse here, but I think Pastor Steve's going to touch on some of this a little bit later. But it has to do with natural revelation uh, that uh, all men know that there's a God. You, can, you see in Psalm 19, the heavens declare, and the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And further, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. If I keep going, I'll get too far off my notes and I'll never get back. So I've got to keep reading here. So our contact point. We already do this naturally with other topics. Okay, let's say you've got lunch on your mind. Okay, and all you can think of is tacos. And your friend says, I'm so hungry. Well, what do you do? Let's go get tacos, right? You start selling them on this idea of getting tacos. Right, next thing you know, the two of you are getting tacos. So you were listening. Okay, you identified and you gave your claim. All right? So let's, um, in a similar way, we can listen carefully for a truth claim and be ready to give an answer. Since we're all made in God's image, have his moral law written on our hearts, eventually our opportunity will arise. Someone will make a claim that has a shred of truthfulness in it, but that has been distorted. This is your opportunity to show where that truth originates. All truth comes from God. And what the Bible says about that specific topic. There are many common objections to the faith. So if you're not already doing this, you might uh, start writing down these common objections and think about how you could respond to these with the Bible. Uh, but in any time we give uh, a response, a given answer, we must remember um, in every conversation that we have, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Proverbs 15.1 A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up strife. And Proverbs 16.24 Pleasant words are like honeycomb. This is especially helpful when you encounter an objection that is upsetting to hear. And let's be honest, many are. Um, and we have to remember that these objections aren't at us. They might be directed toward us, but they're actually to our holy God. And this is when humility is important. We must recognize that anyone we are talking to falls into three categories. Okay, so hear me out on this. The saints, the ain'ts, and the ain't yet. Okay? Now, nobody's wearing 
identification buttons, but the point is that all saints were once ain't yet. And we know that includes you and me, Christian brother. So we shouldn't prejudge anyone. Regardless of who we're talking to, we should always strive to do so with gentleness and respect. We must be patient, approaching any conversation with grace and humility. Of course, there will be times when you determine that the person you're talking to is not receptive and is just making claims uh, for the purpose of stirring up strife. And in those cases, it's better to move on. And if you're graceful in that situation, you might have the opportunity with that person in the future. Second Timothy chapter 2.23 gives some, some guidance here. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his, opponent, his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So when it comes to objections, we must also recognize that not all objections are created equal. Some are legitimate inquiries, some not. Some are assertions. This could be indirect, like a slogan on a t-shirt or bumper sticker, or direct, something directly said to you. Um, But my favorite is the hostile assertion disguised as a question. Give you an example. Have we forgotten about the hostile assertion that's disguised as a question? That's just an example there. We need not recognize when an answer, excuse me, we need not recognize, let me try that one more time. We need to recognize when a question or a line of questioning being posed is not legitimate with the desire to gain understanding, but is actually a fiery dart with the purpose of making our views look foolish. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5 provide some wise counsel in this area. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So here's some practical methods for you here for determining the legitimacy of an objection. So you know when you're dealing with fiery darts. Okay? So when you're hit with a hostile objection, do not return volley with more folly. Instead, stop the fool in his tracks with a question. Okay? Greg Kokel has developed two questions that are aimed at clarifying and identifying the root of the objection or assertion. He calls, this tactical, he calls these tactical questions the Columbo method. These questions are named after Lieutenant Columbo, as you may have gathered if If you don't know the reference, then you're surely missing out. Uh, But Columbo 1 is basically this question. What do you mean by that? All right, this question asks the objector to be more precise about the claim, which provides you a little bit more information before proceeding and keeps the conversation moving forward. In his book, Tactics, he writes, the key to the Columbo tactic is to go on the offensive in an unoffensive way with carefully selected questions that advance the conversation. The first question here, the Colombo one, isn't only for responding to hostile objections, but it can be a good way to start a conversation and 
uh, or move a conversation from small talk to the gospel. Okay? sure if I have time for this example. I'm going to, yeah, I'll give you the example. If someone you're talking with is, for example, wearing a t-shirt that says, uh, in science we trust, right? You might ask, you might say something like, hey, I noticed your, your t-shirt. Are you into science? Okay, this is a, a, a just way to ease into it, okay? And depending on the response, you might give another, what do you mean by that, right? And depending on that response, you might go to the Colombo 2. Colombo 2 is a question that's uh, designed for hostile objections, um, but it keeps the burden of proof on the person uh, making the objection, and it buys you a little time and a little bit of opportunity to be a little bit more precise with your um, gospel presentation. Okay, so in this curse, in, in this case, the person wearing the T-shirt has replaced God with science, and he says, "Yeah, I trust science because it pr- proves everything I need to know." Well, this is where Columbo two comes in, and instead of Trying to directly disprove the assertion, you can follow up with this question, how did you come to that conclusion? Well, the first question asks what the person thinks. The second asks him why he thinks it. This can sometimes turn a hostile objector into someone willing to honestly engage in conversation. You know, you, maybe you've broken that shell that, that, they, uh, that, that they have. Okay, it also provides with an opportunity to gather enough information to make a more tailored response. What I like about this approach is it allows me uh, to develop some more dialogue before jumping into the gospel. It more or less scopes out the waters before diving in. I found that when people are able to speak about what they think, they're more open to hearing what I have to say about the gospel, especially because it's going to be in direct opposition to what they have to say. All right, in summary, we should always be ready to share our faith and give an answer for why we believe. Since the Bible is the source of all saving knowledge, we start here. We, know, we need to know what we believe and how to communicate it. And we can use catechesis to memorize the basic truths of the faith in preparation for sharing with the lost. And we can approach encounters with humility, aiming to be relational and hospitable knowing that it is only by the grace of God that anyone will come to believe. As we go to the table, we give glory to God for the saving work that Christ accomplished on the cross, for providing the means to us to hear the gospel, and for the work of the Spirit to produce saving faith in us. Thank you.